alien spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. Hello and welcome to the 66th annual subliminal deception podcast your weekly dose of conspiracy theory bullshit i think we just collected our first social security check with the 66th episode phil how are you doing good buddy how about yourself not doing too bad um on the release of this episode will be officially my last day at my current employer and I will be very excited. Yeah. Fuck yeah. It's about time you get out of there. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just sometimes, you know, you got to just, sometimes you got to change your life. And I reached my breaking point and it was time for change. And I'm excited for change. That's all I can say. So how's, uh, how's life been treating you? Good. Uh, you know, it's getting hot as fuck here, but uh, I've been doing well. I know that... Uh, that job has been the bane of your existence for quite some time now. Happy to hear that you're getting out of there. I'm actually pretty happy with my job, how it's going. Going well. I still have one after all this pandemic shit's going on. So that's nice. You know, that was one of my leading things. I was like, I hear all these people, you know, people I know, you, whatever. And they like are satisfied with their job and are content and happy and are tr being treated well. And... I don't really feel that way, so <laughs> I'm <laughs> kind of like, maybe it's time for something different. Yeah, benefits, appreciation from your bosses, and job satisfaction might do that to you, so. Yeah, a little, uh, even a thank you. You're yeah. like, good job, man, that can go a long way. Get a get a nice job uh, behind a desk. We've all seen, well, I've seen snippets of The Office um, but, uh, it seems like that's the American dream right there. You want one of those jobs, right? Yeah. I have, uh, I'm more of the manual labor class, yeah. so I wouldn't exactly know what the whole white collar situation is like, <laughs> but the, yeah. uh, I've already heard from somebody, um, that a lot of the office workers for their job, uh, they came back and they were instantly complaining about having to wear masks. Yeah, we actually have to wear masks now at work. Um, I think a lot of it is because there's maybe like some of the office workers have come back. I really didn't like it at first, but now I barely even notice it. So it's kind of weird how it kind of turned like that. I still don't wear it when I go to the grocery store. I mean, by Monday, I might have to. Uh, yeah, Arizona's uh, heating up a little bit. I, I saw today Texas rolled back uh the bars i think yeah, yeah if they... you believe the uh the fake news then you're... <laughs> yeah you're gonna go for that well uh we we had the first uh case at my now former employer's place uh today so their uh hr is doing a lot of uh sweeping under the rug right now oh i can imagine probably blaming the workers Oh, ab absolutely. I mean, who else's fault is that? Yeah, that's the that's the one thing 
where like you were talking about your job and since it's changed over from like a small business to a big business that I definitely knew like, oh yeah, they're going to get that, that big, uh, big company mentality. Oh yes. They, it's probably one of the leading charges of me needing to find a career choice. But anyway, Phil, um, since you have a action packed episode this week, we're going to keep the banter a little short. Let me let you take the reins and lead us on uh, this week's journey. Yeah, I don't know how action-packed the first part's going to be, but hopefully it's pretty fucking funny. So what do you know about the end of the Russian Empire? I know that it was caused by Reagan punching the wall in Germany, right? Not really. That was the end of the <laughs> Soviet Union. But <laughs> I'm talking about uh, prior to the Soviet Union. Oh, oh, right, right. I get him confused. Are you sure Reagan wasn't involved in that as well? He's old enough. He may have been involved. <laughs> he punched definitely him. Obama was involved. Ah, yes, yes. Oh, sorry. Barry Satiro. Definitely yeah, Barry no, Satiro. Yeah, say he his real something. name. Say his real yeah. name. So born on the 18th of May in the year 1868 in Alexander Palace in St. Petersburg, Russia, to his father, the Tsarevich Alexander III, and his mother, Maria, Tsar Nicholas II was born. Now, during his birth, his grandfather, Alexander II, was the Tsar of Russia and was known as Alexander the Liberator. Due to the ruler abolishing serfdom in the Russian Empire and initiating many reforms in the country that would take away from the nobility and transfer freedoms to the peasantry. Though many of these reforms would be dismantled under Nicholas's father, Tsar Alexander III, after Alexander II's assassination in 1881. So you're saying... The okay, it would be the son, right? He was he he was pretty good. Well, no, so the grandfather of Nicholas II, who was the last Tsar of Russia, his grandfather Alexander. It's kind of hard because they have the same name. Yeah, Alexander III was considered the liberator. Oh, but his son took over and rolled back a lot of the reforms of his father. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. So just saying that statement. I can see why there might have been a hostile takeover. Yeah, there was a it was a situation that was a brewing for a while. So some of these reforms were on the 3rd of March, 1861, he eliminated serfdom in Russia. Serfdom is basically they're slaves to the land, not to any master. But they pretty much were treated like slaves to their masters at that point. I think I think I first learned about this when on Bumblebutt, I was covering uh, Elizabeth Elizabeth Bathory, uh, and she was, okay, her husband was ruling a section of Hungary way back in, like, I think she was mid-1500s, or maybe late-1400s. Yeah, they would have had the feudal system back then. Yeah, they, uh, people were not treated very well. No, if you were a serf in Europe, uh, in a country that had serfdom, Russia was the, actually the last country to have uh, serfdom. Uh, they were kind of the holdouts of the entire continent of Europe. Ah, oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So another reform was he opened up conscription to all classes in Russia, not just the peasants. And he did this on the 1st of January, 1874. So before this, a Russian peasant was conscripted by his master for a 25-year stint in the Russian military. And this may have well has been like a life sentence for these peasants. Mm. So they were forced to serve 25 years. Yes. 
And that was only the peasants. If you were the son of a no noble person, you wouldn't have to serve the military if you didn't want to. Okay. All right. Could you imagine uh, how many years did you serve? Eight? Uh, ten total. Ten. Okay. Well, can you imagine doing 15 more? <laughs> yes. And it'd be terrible. I <laughs> wouldn't want to do it. And especially back in this day. I mean, back then they also, it had just ended, but. They had, uh, it's another reform I'm going to mention. He got rid of corporal punishment. But back before he got rid of corporal punishment, if you screwed up, they could beat you publicly. Oh, that's not good. Here's what I'm wondering. Okay, obviously, we've kind of moved away from corporal punishment in military service, I'm assuming. And in futuristic documentaries like Starship Troopers, Troopers. they bring it back. So in the future, yeah. could they bring it back? Well, I mean, in Starship Troopers, fascism had taken over the world. Uh, so, I mean, that's kind of where it came into being. And also, that's fiction. But, I mean, honestly, we could regress. So, it is possible that corporal punishment could make a comeback. Hmm. Okay. I could see it happening. I don't know for sure, but... I mean... It... I mean, when you when you get, like, good things happening, there's often, like, a kickback, so... I think I think secretly that the guy who was whipping the main character, I think he was seriously just getting off on it. He may have been enjoying it a little too much. <laughs> so another thing that he did, um, he opened up the judicial system, kind of spreading out the doling out of justice on more of a local level, which really it kind of helps in a country the size of Russia take away from like all justice being handled at the highest levels, kind of spreading it down so that you get like open courts, actual trials instead of just having a sentence handed down from the top government. Yeah. I mean, all of this sounds good. Yeah. He kind of copied like the French system in those terms. So he was definitely trying to overhaul the Russian system. Another thing that he decided to do, uh, this was kind of really to make some money for the country and get it away from possibly falling into British hands. He sold Alaska to the United States in 1867. Have you ever heard about this deal? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've been, I've been to Alaska. They uh, they talk about it a lot when you go on tours and stuff there. Yeah, so he sold it for the bargain price of $7.2 million, which in today's dollars is about $132 million. And this was $0.02 cents an acre, and this is about $0.30 cents an acre in today's money. For the 375 million acres, roughly, that Alaska has. Can you imagine the fucking billionaires today if they could buy that? Oh, yeah. They could. I mean, a fucking Jeff Bezos could buy Alaska like 100 times, pretty much, for $132 million. Even today's money, he could buy it many times. Well, the uh, I will say this, maybe a little controversial, but... Obviously, the Russians, like the Americans, just straight up stole Alaska from uh, the indigenous people. But when America purchased it, I think the American citizens or whatever only can go in. Ah, God, it's such a small little percentage of Alaska. And the rest of it is uh, what they call the bushland. And I believe that is all owned by the indigenous people that live there. They've given a lot of that land back to the indigenous people who live there. Oh, yeah. And the federal government owns a shit ton of land, too. So. Oh, really? I think. 
Yeah, there. Well, the thing was too when America bought Alaska, it was kind of considered. It was called Seward's Folly. Uh, the guy who had arranged to buy it, everyone thought that it was a really bad idea until they discovered gold there, and now of course they've discovered oil there too. So yeah, of course Alaska is worth a lot more than one hundred thirty-two million dollars. So <laughs> are you sure we bought it for a bargain? Yeah. we get more out of that than like in fish that we like pull out of the the ocean and the lakes there we get more just out of that than 132 million dollars so like it all worked out pretty well for united states so all of these reforms were done in order to quell uh leftist revolutionaries that had sprung up in the empire and due to russia's recent fall from prominence after the failures of the crimean war and falling behind militarily from its enemies. Uh, basically, Russia's always playing catch-up to the larger empires, France and England, and coming up would be Germany also. Mm, okay. So after many failed assassination attempts, Alexander II decided to back more conservative elements of his own government, and this was until his assassination by bombing in 1881. Oh, not a great way to go. No, definitely not. Like I mentioned earlier, Alexander III had rolled back many of the reforms after his father's assassination. However, due to newly found freedoms and the rise of prominence in the peasantry due to the Industrial Revolution, which pretty much created a new middle class in Russia, Russian peasants were becoming very much more politically active uh, than most of the European countries. Mm, Okay. This is before he rolled them back, you're saying? Oh, yeah, this was he was trying to roll back all of the things that the peasants had gained, but the peasants were now gaining ground economically and politically. Okay, okay. So it might be a little too late for him to do that. Yeah, also one of the problems is Russian nobles weren't really that politically charged like the British were. So kind of like the Russian peasantry filled in some of those gaps left behind by the nobles. Okay. They they did things like create their own unions. They had strikes, worker rebellions, that kind of thing. I here's my let's let's make a little correlation here, Phil. Would you and I be considered peasantry in the United States? Yes. Okay. Everyone who wasn't like of noble birth. Or we're not in the clergy either. Okay. And we're not the king we're not the king. So you're a peasant if you're none of those things. So you're saying like the the priests who who held mass in our Catholic school days are the nuns. They're uh, uh, part high, of the clergy. Yeah, clergy. So they'd be widely accepted, and we'd be peasant. Not the not the nuns. They would be considered less than dirt. But the priest, yeah, he would be considered nobility, like a uh, lower noble. <laughs> he would not really noble, but he would be higher than a peasant. But like a local priest would be on top of all of the local peasants, but he wouldn't be like a noble person unless he was of noble birth. Then his clergy status and his nobility status would kind of compound each other. Why not the nuns? Because they were considered like servants of God and ah. there was a lot of rules kind of holding them down. Gotcha. So both Alexander III and Nicholas II witnessed the death of Alexander II Uh, the previous czar, and both vowed that they would not let the same fate come to them 
and suppress the people of Russia by means of police and military brutality whenever an uprising would stir. Okay, okay. I, I'm starting to see why he was paranoid and starting to roll back his stuff. Yeah, so definitely there is, I mean, they're going back to the old ways. Alexander II put in a lot of these efforts to try to quell these revolutionary ideas and uprisings, but it didn't work. It just lit the fire. He basically was just throwing more logs on the fire at that point. Okay. Do they know who killed, uh, what is his grandfather? It was a rival, like, political party. Ah, okay. All right. It was, there's, I mean, it was a plot from his political enemies, basically. People like the peasantry class, the ones that I told you had risen up, kind of like form these groups. And one of those groups uh, bombed him. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, Nicholas II, at the time when his grandfather was assassinated, became what's known as the Tsarevich, which means that you are next in line in for the throne uh, after his father would die. Now, Nicholas met his future wife, Princess Alex, from Germany at a wedding when he was 16 and she was 12. And after some later visits, they fell in love and wanted to be married to each other. Now, Queen Victoria, Alex's grandmother, didn't want her to marry Nicholas, as she did not trust the Russians and didn't like his father, Alexander III. So Victoria wanted Princess Alex to become the future Queen of England, and this would happen by marrying Victoria's grandson, Prince Albert Victor, who would have been the future king had he not died of influenza just before the turn of the 19th century. However, uh, she declined his proposal. Okay, so you don't have to say influenza. I think you can just say incest. He probably died of causes from fucking incest. Yeah, he died. Well, I mean, he may have had some other shit from all. Uh, Victoria, all of her line uh, is riddled with problems, obviously. There was a lot of intermarrying going on, and we'll get into one a little bit later, but... Yeah, there's quite a few problems there. I was going to say, I don't think Victoria liked anybody. Yeah, well, she had a lot. She had a, a huge amount of grandchildren, like, all over the thrones. But after her husband died, I think, she really became, like, not a very nice person. And when she became, when she got older, uh, she became very hard to be around. Mm, I can imagine. So Nicholas's parents also didn't want the two to get married, as his parents did not trust the Germans, uh, and this made Princess Alex not suitable. However, Queen Victoria relented to Alex's demands, and also Tsar Alexander III's health began to turn, and because of this, Nicholas's parents allowed the marriage between Nicholas and Alex because the Tsar's time was getting very short. Mm, okay, so they got a deadline because he's dying. Yeah, time is really starting to tick away. So Nicholas was never properly prepared to be the ruler of Russia by his father. Alexander III was still a young man after Alexander II's death, and he had thought that he would have plenty of time to teach his son how to become the ruler. However, when his health began to turn, the Tsarevich needed to be fast-tracked into his ascendancy. Mm, okay. So the two were married on the 26th of November, 1894. And this was less than a month after Nicholas's father, Alexander III, had died, and, Ale and Nicholas had ascended to the throne in St. Petersburg. Princess Alex was renamed Tsarina Alexandra 
Fyodorovna, Fyodorovna, <laughs> and was not well liked by the Russian people, as she was seen as cold, even though in reality, she was actually just really shy. And this was especially in front of the Russian people, who she was extremely culturally different than. They even criticized the Tsarina for not nursing her own children, and they criticized her for the fact that she raised them how she was raised in Germany. Wait, are okay, are they saying they're mad because she didn't breastfeed them, or what? They were mad because she did. Oh, because she did? Yeah, because at the time, like, a lot of the higher nobility, the Tsarinas, would usually have a wet nurse breastfeed the children gotcha. instead of having her do it. But that's how she was raised, so she wanted to do it herself. I figured they just had, like, a, a cow drunk on vodka nourishing <laughs> the fucking Russian baby. I think that's how it's done now. Okay. That's <laughs> modern parenting techniques in Russia. This is the old school way. They just have a cow drunk on borscht and vodka with eight kid, eight little kids just sucking off the teats. Okay, maybe we're going to get an email about this, but I believe... If you are a mother, you just gave birth, you're producing milk or whatever. If it's not getting taken out by uh, your baby or whatever, then it can cause a lot of pain and can get infected and stuff in there, I think. Yeah, I don't know exactly what they did to alleviate that. Uh, I know I know that with some, I, I think it was in Japan, they didn't want to breastfeed their own children because they were still trying to look good for trying to get like political favors from either who was in charge or other nobles. So I'm huh. not sure if that happened in Russia, though. Well, you'd assume if she's not breastfeeding or maybe if she is, she'd be lactating through her expensive gown or whatever. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> we, we're probably never going to be able to be able to breastfeed. So maybe somebody <laughs> will fill us in here. Maybe it was like her husband's what? fetish, like he wanted all the breast milk for himself, like P. Diddy. Could be. What was that great documentary where uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger gave birth to a child? Junior. Junior. That's what it was. Yeah, I was going to say. I was trying to think of that movie in my head. <laughs> <laughs> so the Tsar and Tsarina had five children total. First came four girls, Olga, Tatiana, Maria, and then Anastasia. They all had like different personalities uh, they all kind of, each one of them took after different parents or grandparents. Uh, they were all really different. So, and lastly, though, there was a boy, Alexei, who would become the Tsarevich now that his father had ascended to the throne of Tsar. Okay. All right. I, um, it seems like one of those cases where, you know, where you have a couple who has kids. And all they want is, like, one boy and one girl. And they keep having, like, either all boys or all girls. So they keep trying and they end up with, like, seven kids until they finally get the opposite gender. Oh, well, there is that show Home Improvement where the mom, she just kept, like, she just wanted one daughter. But she ended up having three boys. And they were all just fucking hellions. I think in one of the later seasons, I think they did have a daughter. I'm not exactly sure. I didn't watch most of the end of it. <laughs> I don't know. It's whatever. It's okay. Yeah. Well, because of the rules against women taking the throne over any male relative of the royal family, no matter how distant, Alexei became the heir apparent over his four older sisters. 
Now, however, there was a problem with Alexei that the royal family would need to keep secret from everyone, with the exception of only the most inner circle of the royal court. Now, Alexei was a hemophiliac, which affects men and is carried by women. Hemophilia ran through the family of Queen Victoria and was passed down to Alexei from the Tsarina Alexandria. Now, because it only affects men, Alexei's sisters were not uh, afflicted with this disease. However, Alexandria's brother, Frederick, died in 1873, as did her uncle, Prince Leopold, in 1884. So she was pretty sure that it came from her, her side of the family. Okay, all right, yes. I, I've definitely heard of uh, uh, this problem uh, with within the family before. I feel like I don't even know if even in modern days when you have this, if they really have a way to stop it, right? They have a way to treat it, but I don't think there's a cure. There is a way. So hemophilia, obviously, a lot of you know, is when your blood does not clot. And you can die from just a a minor cut that anyone else, their blood would just immediately start clotting. Uh, In like extremely, like the worst cases, you could die from a paper cut. Yeah. In in Alexei's case, it wasn't as bad. Okay, so he didn't have like the extreme version of it. He just had he had a monitor it or whatever. Yeah, it was basically everyone had to be very careful around him. In the extreme cases, a baby doesn't live to be one years old. They bleed out from their umbilical cord in some cases. Oh god damn. Yeah. Uh those those are extreme cases. He didn't have that extreme of a case. He actually he lived on. Okay. For quite you know quite a while, obviously. Okay. So ill health from having many pregnancies in a short amount of time, coupled with worrying about her son's condition, made the Tsarina pretty much a recluse. Uh, it was said that she would lay in bed or on a chaise sofa most of the day, no longer making public appearances, which could have caused the Russian people to dislike her even more. Searching for someone to save her sick child's life, the Tsarina met many doctors and mystics in an weird search to find a cure for Alexei's illness and sudden attacks. However, none of these men would be stranger or have a more lasting effect on the Tsarina in history than the mad monk himself, Rasputin. <laughs> the forest witch. Isn't that what they yep. call him? The forest witch or something? He had many, many weird nicknames. He's a yeah. he's a groovy fellow. Definitely. So I didn't realize, I, I keep forgetting that in the 1800s, they had like the ability to take photographs. But at this time, you could get your photograph taken pretty regularly. So it's kind of weird. I didn't realize so many photos of Rasputin existed. I mean, to me, he kind of looks like if you were to remove one of Dick Cheney's hearts and then like accidentally dump it into the secret ooze of uh, that's on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You'd kind of get what Rasputin looks like. Yeah, he is definitely a <laughs> disheveled looking man. There is not a, there are some pictures of him when he's younger. Obviously, when he was younger, he was like really poor, which I'm going to get into. So there's not a lot of pictures of him then. But during his high society days, he does not take a single, he's not cleaned up a single day of his fucking life in his later years. It's amazing. He looks worse and worse. Every, like, even as he gets wealthier and wealthier, he just keeps looking more and more disheveled. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, he, I mean, you know those monkeys? They're, like, black with, like, a white Fu Manchu? 
that's what he kind of reminds me of, like a human version of whatever that monkey's called. They have a Fu Manchu, you said? Yeah, it's like a, it has like a little mustache, and then it's white fur hanging down on its mouth. I'm gonna... That's weird. You keep telling the story. I'm gonna try to find this monkey. Okay. So Grigory Yefimovich Rasputin was born on the 21st of January, 1869, to a peasant family in... Pokrovskoy, Pokrovskoy, in what is now Tuman Oblast, and that's about a thousand miles east of Moscow. His father, Yethin, was a farmer, church elder, and also said to be a ferryman. His mother was Anna Pushruvka, and kind of, I didn't really find anything, I think she was just more of a housewife. Okay, alright. The two had seven children altogether, though all of them either died in infancy or childhood, with the exception of Rasputin. There was also a possibly a ninth child uh, who would live to adulthood, though she may have just been a friend of Rasputin or a friend of the family. It's kind of small for a Russian family, though, isn't it? Nine well, kids. I mean, they would have had <laughs> they would have had eight or possibly nine children, but all of them died. You think they would just keep trying? <laughs> I mean, so- it's uh, it's. Small cons- uh, compared to an Amish family. Yeah, that's true. An Amish <laughs> family would be like, Jesus, you guys barely have enough to put together a baseball team. What's going on here? Phil, see that? Look at the picture of the message I sent you. Yeah, Phil, that is a Emperor Tamarin monkey. And it, I think it looks like Rasputin. What say you? Oh, yeah. it's It definitely, it actually looks like a cleaner version of Rasputin. One that actually, like, takes care of his beard and... Takes a little pride in his image. <laughs> Same magic power level, though, I have a feel. I feel like. Yeah. I doubt that that uh, monkey's dick is eight feet long, though. Like Pro- uh, Rasputin's Pro- reported dick. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. So little, if anything, is known for sure about Rasputin's childhood. Though his youth may have involved drinking, minor theft, and disrespecting authority. Okay. Typical oh. Russian. Yep, typical Russian youth right there, so nothing out of the ordinary. A lot of the myths about his upbringing were falsified by his enemies in the royal court during his time in the aid of Alexei and the royal family in St. Petersburg. Many of these claims included horse theft, blasphemy, and burying false witness. Burying false witness against your neighbors doesn't really sound like that big of a deal now, but it was a huge deal in Orthodox Christianity at this time. I mean, yeah, I could imagine. So most of those charges in America around the same time probably would have got you killed. Oh, horse theft? Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's actually a conspiracy or a rumor, I guess, that horse theft is the reason why he started his pilgrimages, too. It was because he was out running the running out of uh, his hometown, running away from the law because of uh, stealing a horse. Oh, OK. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. So on kind of one of his first early pilgrimages, Rasputin would meet a peasant girl named Praskovia Dubravina in 1887 after traveling about 155 miles east to the Holy Zenensky Monastery in Abalak, Russia. I've really got to stop doing fucking Russia fucking episodes. <laughs> uh, they eventually married in February 1887. Uh, he was eight, he was 19 years old at the time. Okay, all right. I I didn't know he was married. Yeah, he was married. Uh, he also he and his wife would 
have a total of seven children. However, only three would survive to adulthood. Uh, this was Dimitri, born in 1895, Maria, born in 1898, and daughter Vavara, born in 1900. A lot of their earlier children died. And this was just like how his parents had a lot of children, but like most of them died. A lot of like four of, out of the seven of his kids died. So basically in Russia, your survival rate of children is about what, 25% or 30%? I, think, I, I don't know what worldwide was, but I think in the United States during this time, before like the invention of modern medicine and antibiotics, I think it was 50-50 whether your kid would survive so to Neil, adulthood. So you're telling me uh, U.S. and Russian children had the Neil deGrasse Tyson 50-50. 50-50, yeah. We haven't talked about that in a while, but <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson, 50-50, they're going to live to adulthood or they're going to die in childhood or infancy. Hmm. And also, uh, the death rate among women bearing children at this time was really high, too. So you could lose your kid and lose the mother as well. Jesus. Yeah, there was always that risk with pregnancy. So Rasputin would leave his family for long periods of time, beginning in 1897. And this is when the kind of conspiracy that he stole a horse and was running away from the law. This is the time frame that they're talking about. And oh. this was at the age of 28 years old. Okay, so he had a lot of kids really fast. Well, actually, so he had one at this time, 1897. He had one living child, Dimitri, and then one child was still in the womb, Maria. These would be the two of the three children that lived. So 1897, at the age of 28, he only had one child at that time. Okay, but I'm saying, you said he got married at 18, and he's on the run at 28, or he got Possibly married at 28. Yeah. yeah, so, but they had how many kids? Seven? Well, Dimitri would have been the fifth child, okay. and Maria, who was not born yet, uh, his wife was pregnant with Maria, would have been the sixth child okay okay i gotcha yeah but it's not known how many total children rasputin had in his lifetime because obviously there wasn't a lot of in the way of contraception back then and the if the legends are true he got himself around pretty well <laughs> so he traveled around the world and he went on many many pilgrimages as they were called now the timeline and locations of his travel are very scattered and they're not very well documented though it is thought that he may have traveled as far as Athos, Greece, which is and was the center of Eastern Orthodoxy. Jeez, that's a long ways. Yeah, so from Siberia to Greece. I mean, really, it's not that far, but, I mean, for someone of his time to travel on foot that far, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, that it's, fucking Forrest Gump couldn't have even ran that far. Yeah, well, in the snow. <laughs> so his first major pilgrimage was to St. Nicholas Monastery in Verkuchor, where he met a very influential elder named Makari, and he would stay there for many months. When he returned home, he was very different from when he left. He no longer drank alcohol, no longer used tobacco, became a vegan, and now looked like a very disheveled homeless man. Mm, okay, close to a, close to Mormonism. I don't know. Mormons are pretty <laughs> clean cut. All the rest of the stuff, except for vegetarians, I do believe most Mormons eat meat. 
But yeah, he didn't drink alcohol, use tobacco, became vegetarian, all things that he would not go by in his later years. Mm, okay. But but he would keep the unhygienic look. He would he would stick with that. So Grigory Rasputin would later go on to turn his father's root cellar into a makeshift chapel and hold secret prayer meetings with his followers. However, rumors quickly spread of misconduct by Rasputin and that he would make his female followers wash him before every meeting. And even at these events, he would basically lead self-flagellation and ritual orgies, though there really isn't any proof of this, and they may have just been rumors started by the local Orthodox Church pastor and other villagers. Yeah, I feel like self-flagellation and orgies are kind of like two polar opposites of the spectrum. There was a group that he was rumored to have belonged to, but there's no real evidence of it. They're called the Kleist or Kleista, and they were kind of like a cult that split off from the Russian Orthodox Church. They would self-flagellate themselves and also take part in ritual orgies. Uh, kind of a, I mean, at the time, obviously, they didn't put up with, like, the main church didn't put up with any bullshit, but you can see how that would be very bad for him to have belonged to a a cult like that. Okay. All right. So what you're saying is basically the cult we know did that stuff and it's believed that he belonged to said cult, but they're not sure if he actually participated in that or if it was just rumors that he was doing that. It might've been like kind of insidious rumors that he belonged to this cult. But I mean, we really don't know exactly where he went and who he met during his travels. So he might've been involved with that that cult but we really don't know i mean it's possible but there's no proof of it okay it's, it's hard because there's not a ton of proof of like what rasputin did before he joined the court in st petersburg okay gotcha so a visit to the city of kazan would increase rasputin's reputation as a holy man and spiritual healer during his time in kazan there was of course rumors of debauchery and him having sex with his female followers However, this he still gained the favor of the of the Father Superior of the Seven Lakes Monastery just outside of Kazan. He also gained the favor of other influential holy men. This would later, during his stay in Kazan, grant him a letter of recommendation to Bishop Serge, the rector of the St. Petersburg Theological Seminary at the Alexander Nevsky Monastery. Ooh, that was a mouthful, Phil, but... Yeah, I was kind of wondering, okay, so you always hear about Mother Superior. I've never heard Father Superior before. How does one come to get that title? Well, I think if you're in a monastery full of monks, monks are usually male. So I'm guessing the the head monk is Father Superior. That's oh. kind of how I think it is. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I suppose that makes sense. Usually when you hear Mother Superior, it's like this evil bitch. From, like, a Catholic school or something like that? Yeah, and it's a nunnery, not a monastery ah, at that point. Right, yeah. right, right. So there's a, a few different kind of timelines, depending on where you read. Either in 1903 or during the winter of 1904 to 1905, Rasputin would make his way to St. Petersburg, accompanied by his now vast reputation as a mystical man, and come into contact with many influential Russian nobles in St. Petersburg, including the inspector of the theological seminary and the future occasional confessor 
to the Tsar and Tsarina, Archimandrite Theophan, who invited Rasputin to stay with him in St. Petersburg. Wow, sounds like a character from Harry Potter, if I'm, if I'm being real right now. Yeah, it is a, it's a, the word is about 11 characters long, and it's very hard to say. But yeah, exactly. There's some weird fucking names in this. And there's probably a few, like, characters in their writing that literally looks like it came from an alien language. Yeah, well, this is all translated into English from Slavic. So I have ah. no idea what it actually looks like or how long it you know, all these names are. I was going to say, you know, Kazan, ironically, is an island in World of Warcraft, which I'm assuming they stole it from. Yeah, they probably stole it from that. Or somebody thought they were being clever and just made it up thinking, oh, yeah, nothing's probably named after named this. Uh, it's actually the city now has about 1.5 million people. It's the capital of like a little republic that's semi-autonomous from Russia. Oh, okay, cool. Sounds like a good place to visit then. Yeah, kind of like the episode we had a couple weeks ago with uh, Chechnya and Dagestan. It's kind of like that situation where they're semi-independent, semi-dependent. Okay, all right. Yeah, I don't know. It like the pictures of it. It looked like a really nice city, actually. It was pretty cool. I'm sure it is. Yeah. So Rasputin either stayed in St. Petersburg for just a short time in 1903 before going home uh, to visit his family and then coming back, or he spent the entire time up until 1905 in St. Petersburg. There's kind of, uh, it's not really that well known. He wasn't that famous at this point. He wasn't famous enough, famous enough to be kind of tracked by the newspapers and historians. I kind of feel like he probably did the lather ladder there. Uh, he stayed in St. Petersburg, but I'm guessing he told everybody he did the former. He went, no, no, I, I totally went home and visited my wife. He wasn't just gathering up fucking females in his harem and yeah, having parties and shit. Yeah, I've, that's my feeling of what he actually did. Yeah, it's all possible. Who knows? This guy's so fucking mysterious. You don't, can't really know anything for sure unless someone actually was there documenting it. Hell, I wouldn't be surprised if we found out he had holocruxes. <laughs> he could have possibly, considering it's pretty famous how he died, but considering that, he may have had a couple of fucking pieces of himself laying around. So in 1905, Rasputin would meet the Black Princesses, Melitza and Anastasia of Montenegro. They were wealthy members of the royal family, and they were known for being socialites uh, in the Saints petersburg area and of the court they had married nicholas ii's cousins which put them into the royal family these two women would later introduce rasputin to the czar and czarina do you know why they call them the black princesses whenever i hear that all i can think about is like these are the most edgy girls in russia or something like they're listening to my chemical romance they're fucking dressing in gothic clothing like what's going hot topic that's the only place they shop it might have been a little something like that, considering they were foreigners from another land living in St. Petersburg. They were super wealthy, but they hung out with more lesser nobles than themselves. I mean, really, it could have been. I don't really know exactly why they got the nickname. They were sisters. Maybe they're the only people in Russia who's ever read Edgar Allan Poe. It could have been. <laughs> you might have hit it on the money. They might have so. actually listened to My Chemical Romance for all <laughs> I know. Have. <laughs> or the 
you know, 19th century equivalent. So Rasputin first met the Tsar in Tsarina back in 1905. Uh, he would later return to his home and eventually would come back to St. Petersburg and meet the entire royal family in 1906. After this meeting is when it's said that Rasputin would become the Tsarevich Alexei's personal healer. Okay, all right. A little like Bob Dole. How, in, how so? <laughs> I don't know. I just felt like... <laughs> say, I, well, technically, okay, Bob Dole was a healer because he recommended Viagra to everybody. That is true. He, Heal, he healed ED. I can't even imagine how much money you could make being a like former presidential contender, former senator, and just go around shilling out fucking Viagra. He must have made fucking bank off of that. What's the NASCAR driver? He was like one of the best ones. He drove the Viagra car. I can't remember what his name is. Yeah, but he's not a former senator. <laughs> well, I mean, actually, the... To truth be told, Bob Dole's penis probably didn't work, and Mark Martin, that's his name, Mark Martin, I think, his probably worked just fine. Yeah, I'm, I doubt, I mean, I could actually, I never really could see, like, any of those race car drivers actually using the products that were on the side of their vehicles. Not even Tom Cruise, I'm sure he ate Hardee's. Tom Cruise, that wasn't his car, that was his rival's car. The Hardee's one? I thought that was his car. No. Or was he- his what was his car? Well, first he had um, his manager's car dealership, the, the Chevy dealership. Then he had like an oil company's. And then at the end of the movie, when he didn't have a sponsor, they found he got to ride in the mellow yellow car. That's right. Okay. Well, thanks. His second rival rode in the Hardy's car. Well, thanks, Tom Cruise, for killing <laughs> mellow yellow, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, I remember after that movie, like, Every single time you would see a NASCAR like photo or anything, it was always the Mellow Yellow car. Ah, uh, rest in peace, Mellow Yellow. Yeah, you can still get that shit. Yeah, but it's like you get frowned upon. Like, basically, you might as well be Rasputin in Russia if you're drinking a <laughs> Mellow Yellow in the United States. That's the kind of looks you're going to get. Yeah, I remember when we used to go to Hardee's, uh, I would ask for a, or a Mountain Dew. And they would always give me something that tasted really funny, but I was like, oh, maybe that's just how Mountain Dew tastes when you get it from a fountain. It turns out it was always Mellow Yellow. <laughs> they got you. Yeah, they fucking got me. Kind of like giving Coke instead of Pepsi, but you can definitely tell the difference. No, you should say Coke Mr. Pib instead of Dr. Pepper. Mr. Oh, yeah, that's the worst one. There's no, there's, <laughs> it doesn't even come close. Yeah. So <laughs> getting back to the story. In the years that followed, Rasputin became a fixture in St. Petersburg noble scene and inside the palace itself, even stirring up rumors that he and the Tsarina were having an affair, though it's not believed that these rumors were true. Even so, both sides, for and against the Tsar and Tsarina, would use these rumors to their advantage, with the left trying to hurt the royal family and get the royals out of the country, and the conservatives who were just trying to oust the German Tsarina Alexandria. Because they, neither party liked the Tsarina at all, but at least they wanted to keep the Tsar around. I mean, from what, from like, let's say, hearing about uh, the Rasputin story on like last podcast on the left, or like other podcasts or TV shows that have covered this uh, story, right? From my understanding, most people believe that uh, the princess 
or whatever, she really was in love with the Tsar, right? Like, she probably wouldn't have been sleeping with Rasputin. Oh, you mean his wife, yes, the Tsarina? Yes, 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 yes. Oh, yes. yeah, I thought you meant the the Tsar's kids. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so she was, I mean, like I was talking about, they fell in love when they were teenagers. Uh, but I, but even I, though even though the Tsarina was really sick and like didn't have a lot of energy, I don't think that she would leave her husband for Rasputin. No, that's what that's what I mean. I think from everything I've heard, like she was all for him. Like it was very unlikely that that would have happened. No, yeah, I mean with Rasputin though. He did have a way with people, so if it turned out to be true, I could totally see it. But it's, I mean, it. there were a lot of bad rumors swirling around from all sides uh, about the Tsarina. Seems to be the uh, moral of this story, Phil, is <laughs> bad rumors swirling around. Yeah, I mean, a ton of his, a ton of the mythos of uh, Rasputin comes from horrible rumors uh, from the time he was just a local peasant going on pilgrimages all the way up to when he was like a fixture in the court of St. Petersburg. It's all just bad rumors coming like from all angles, coming from all of his enemies. Well, I mean, it's pretty similar to all the people who say you and I are just government shills who are trying to discredit all the legitimate conspiracy theories in the world, right? Yeah. The, well, I mean, it is true. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course not. Of course it's so the royal family refused to allow Rasputin's enemies to force him out of the city. When they actually did succeed in forcing him out, Alexei would get sick again, and Nicholas would need to send word to Rasputin immediately, telling him to get back to St. Petersburg at once. And when Rasputin would come back, uh, every time Alexei would be healed, every time every, he was ever needed, Alexei's whatever little injury or whatever bleeding would always be fixed by whatever Rasputin would do. Do you think he just put like a Dora the Explorer Band-Aid over his wounds? Uh, I don't know about that. Dora the Explorer <laughs> might have been a few years after. May have been a Mickey Mouse. Oh, okay. Was he around in early 1900s? I think so. No, it, it was more like the 30s. Nah. Steamship, a steamship Willie, those old cartoons. <laughs> the old communist Mickey Mouse, whatever you call him. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Mickey Mouse. <laughs> the ripoff. Yeah. <laughs> so there was even one time when the young Zarevich Alexei injured himself uh, during a really bumpy carriage ride, and his leg developed a hematoma, and it eventually hemorrhaged. Now, Rasputin was not in the city. But he did get a message from the Tsar telling him that his son was deathly ill and that he needed help. And Rasputin would send a message from his home in Polkoroske to the Tsar in St. Petersburg. Now this message was, God has seen your tears and heard your prayers. Do not grieve. The little one will not die. Do not allow the doctors to bother him too much. Wow, he basically just... Read off a pamphlet to every single church I've ever been to. Yeah, basically the a lot. It kind of sounds like the anti-vaxxers and some of those religions who don't believe in allowing doctors to heal your kids, telling them just to pray for them will work. 
Kind of sounds like one of those. Do you know, you remember those little, I think they're like either little kids or little baby statuette things you'd get and they had religious sayings on them. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. They yeah. they were like little children angel statues. Yes, yes. I right? feel like yeah. I feel like what he just wrote there you'd find on like a little placard on one of those stupid fucking statues. That would be crazy if it wasn't a telegram. If <laughs> if Rasputin just sent him one of those things, <laughs> one of those little statues with yeah. this message on it. <laughs> it's like holy <laughs> shit, how do you know? Yeah. Well, I would, I need to know what those goddamn things are called now. Oh, I it's in it's in the fucking back of my mind. I can almost remember it, but because I remember there was a lot of people who made fun of them for like 15 years after they became unpopular. Ah, uh, yeah, you'd get them for like your confirmation and all the Catholic horse shit. I remember that. Every second or third episode of Hoarders has some fat hoarding woman who always keeps like a whole shelf full of those things, but they're always like broken and kept in a pile <laughs> where they should be. Yeah, exactly where they should be. So Nicholas and Ex- Alexandra believed that it was Rasputin who healed their son all the way from Siberia, though it is now thought that this may have worked because it calmed Alexandria and allowed her call, her being calm actually calmed Alexei. It's also believed when the doctors began to leave Alexei alone and let him rest, the bleeding stopped because they weren't fucking with him so much. Well, I mean, they probably weren't aware that when they're, you know, injecting him with vodka shots, that's actually <laughs> thinning his blood even more. So it's yeah. not really helping. Of course, the remedy would have to be vodka. I mean, yeah, I just- it's Russia has to be. I just imagine that every time the doctors would come see him, they would probably like move him around and like, oh, he needs to be stretched out or he needs this or he needs that. They would probably open up his wounds. So that does make a lot of sense. You know what? The only thing I know that helps is bloodletting. It's the only way we can help this young man. <laughs> yeah. Go to the river and get some leeches. <laughs> that'll, that'll be good for him. Get some of that fucking uh, circulation going. <laughs> So we kind of uh, touched on it before, and I'm not really going to go into like some of the crazy stories. We would be here all day if I went into the crazy stories of Rasputin and his dealings with the nobles and dealings with the court. I'm just going to talk about some of Rasputin's odd habits. Okay. So I'm going to I'm going to fire him off here. So Rasputin was known to not bathe that often, even claiming to have worn the same underwear for six months straight without changing them. I mean, I could say some kids we went to high school with probably are in the same camp. And they probably haven't changed them since. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They're probably dead by now. <laughs> Jesus, Phil. <laughs> he would leave food in his beard to the point where the food was rotting. So little crumbs and shit would get caught in his beard. He wouldn't clean it out. Okay, again... My co-host on Bubba Bubba Podcast probably has done this. Uh, congratulations, Jordan, on your baby, by the way. Yeah, congratulations to fatherhood. Yeah, has I saw a picture of him recently. Did he shave most of it off? Ah, uh, I feel like I haven't seen him in two weeks, so I, I've instantly forget, forgot what he even looks like. But uh, I think he trimmed it. Yeah, I think he may have trimmed it because I, I think I saw a picture of uh, him and the new baby. I think he had his beard trimmed from the last time I saw it. But. Well, can you imagine all that rotten food they got shaved <laughs> off with it? There's an old, there's an old TV show where some guy had 
grown a beard. It was a cartoon. And he had a uh, like a a little nest in his beard with a little flock of birds in there. <laughs> family Guy, I think. That was Family Guy. Yeah. 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 I couldn't remember if it was Family Guy or American Dad. Another thing was Rasputin was said to always smell extremely foul. Okay. I mean, I assume in Russia, everybody at this time smelled a little rank, so he must have been really bad. Oh, yeah. I mean, at this time... People didn't bathe every day. People didn't use deodorant. Uh, only like the richest people had like soaps and shampoos and all of that. But if you're famous for your smell at this time, you must have smelled pretty fucking bad. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, uh, uh, if something smells, people, you should remember it. So he probably did smell. Yeah. Oh, expe- well, I'm thinking about uh, breath. And how that one company, Listerine, how they invented the term halitosis for bad breath. Imagine how bad his breath must have smelled for someone at that time who took care of it that little. Oh, yeah. Well, you'd assume the vodka would be sterilizing his mouth, but I don't know. All of the liquor he drank. (laughs) I think most of the things that I read about him, he drank a lot of wine. I didn't see much about drinking vodka at that time. Okay, so he probably had like a fucking red teeth all the time yeah oh the red stained teeth from wine yeah. drinkers yeah, yeah. yeah another thing that he would do he would touch grope and kiss women like really shortly after meeting them like he would do these things right after he was introduced to a woman i mean that's the joe biden method but that's wildly inappropriate yeah i mean it is how you get votes apparently but <laughs> i don't know <laughs> it's not my thing i'm a that should be nobody's thing no, I meant, yeah, there are some people who, when they first meet someone, they get really huggy or grabby. I hate those people. <laughs> it's not, yeah. Another problem, he had horrible table manners. And there's a story that he would pick up food with his fingers, stick his fingers in his mouth to eat the food, and then push his fingers into the faces of women that were seated around him, trying to get them to kiss his fingers. Ugh, Gross. Yeah, just just the worst house guest you can even imagine. I'm going to tell you what, Phil. I know you are a bar goer, so you need to try this and say, <laughs> look, this is Rasputin style. I just want to see if you ladies would be into it or not. <laughs> just, just get taken out back and getting the shit beat out of me. I mean, that's probably going to happen. But now remember, do the fingers, put the food in your mouth, your fingers, and then ask them if they would kiss your fingers. Don't actually try to force them to do it, obviously. Don't shove your fingers in their face. No, yeah. as, no, long no, as, no. A, as long as it's a question, the worst I can say is no, right? Yeah, yep. No. Another thing that was known about him, and this is legendary, he had a voracious sexual appetite. He kept a harem of female followers that he would call his little ladies, who would often wash his genitals... Uh, after a heavy night of partying before he would make his way to church so he wouldn't bathe or anything but somehow he'd wash his genitals yeah he would have his little troop of little ladies in the morning wash his genitals and it was also this was just rumored he would also have them worship his junk (laughs) like it was uh like it was an idol so basically he's like a mixture of uh, Joe Biden, Bill Clinton, and Bob Dole at this point. Pretty much, especially Bob Dole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so another thing, 
how he had like picked up his harem of little ladies, women would line up outside of his door for days on end, trying to get like an appointment or a meeting with Rasputin. And out of these women, he would pick out his favorites and get them just from his own talking, whatever, get these women to join his group. So that's how he would get these women to become his closest followers. So he's a little bit like John Bon Jovi. Yeah, or <laughs> uh, or Marty Giannetti and Shawn Michaels. If you've ever watched the uh, uh, Behind yeah. the Rings, they were fucking insane. That's yeah. They need to make a movie out of those two. They, uh, from what I've heard, they're uh, not good people. Yeah, I highly recommend the Dark Side of the Ring about uh, Shawn Michaels and Marty Giannetti. It was it was very good. It's from this season. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I can, recommend you watch that. How can one come to watch it? I think it was, it was at, like, Vice. Oh, shit. I think it's one of those Vice deals. I, I just watched it on YouTube, so. Okay, maybe I'll have to check that out then. Yeah, definitely. Really good one. Uh, another thing was he drank many bottles of wine a day and would attend and host raging all-night parties. Okay, this one, a lot more believable. Yeah, it was. I mean, there are theories that he was a complete alcoholic. And also, he was trying to get uh, alcohol banned, alcohol consumption banned in the city. And this could have been because he wanted himself to quit. Okay, all right. I mean, I feel like there's a lot, a lot of southern counties in the United States who do the same thing. Yeah, it's weird that he started off. Like, he wouldn't eat meat. He wouldn't smoke cigarettes He or tobacco. He wouldn't drink. And then later on, he just basically said, oh, God wants me to do the opposite. And then he just fucking did it. Like, I mean, yeah, when you're at that level, you can just kind of make up whatever shit you want. That is true. That's what a lot of those, like, southern megachurches, it's how they act. <laughs> Any anytime I, anytime I see one of those, like, southern megachurch pastors, and they always claim about, like, like they hate gay people or they want to convert gay people. You know, like that dude has been fucking some dudes <laughs> like every single time. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. You don't want hexes put on you. Yeah. Well, now they just sue people. But <laughs> so Rasputin's enemies, speaking of enemies, Rasputin's enemies grew audibly and in number as his influence over the royal court increased. Accusations of rape, bribe taking, debauchery. And using his influence for sexual favors came up as the strange holy man lived continually in St. Petersburg. I mean, from all we know about him, I don't doubt he did all of that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the th just the things that are recorded, taking all the rumors, taking all the myth out of it, just the things that are recorded. This is like a crazy, weird, homeless-looking Jesus. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. people. what what people think about him. I mean, yeah, basically. If you met someone like him, like nowadays, you would have just assumed that he was some crazy loon running around on the street. Yeah, I'm, yeah uh, with modern thinking, they don't really take those types very serious anymore. Oh, yeah. I remember there was that one dude who dressed up like Jesus and walked through Cresco that one yeah. time. Oh, yeah. Everyone made fun of him and kicked him the fuck out of town. <laughs> so, Rasputin, so Rasputin's presence, mixed with the weakened Russian economy, poor results in the war against Germany, and the rise of the revolutionaries in the empire caused a great deal of turmoil 
for the ruling family in Russia. Rasputin was seen as the puppet master of the royal families, especially the Tsarina. Uh, the Tsarina was put in control of domestic affairs while the Tsar Nicholas II was out at the battlefield, uh, kind of leading the Russian troops uh, against Germany. And he actually went to the Russian battlefield front at the request of Rasputin. He claimed that he had had a vision and that in order for Russia to win the war, he would need to be there to oversee it personally. His incompetence is kind of what's thought why Russia did so poorly in the war against Germany. Because of uh, Rasputin's suggestion. Yeah, this was Rasputin told him that he had a vision that the Tsar needed to be like at the battlefield. He wasn't he wasn't actually on the front lines. He was in headquarters behind the front lines, obviously. But he was there overseeing the whole thing personally. If he would have just left this to his generals, it may have been like it may have went better for Russia. Russia still probably would have lost because of how badly the Russian economy was. There's a lot of things. Uh, how behind the Russian military was. They did have strength in numbers, though. And if they would have been better led, they could have actually pushed back the Germans or possibly made it to the end of the war instead of what actually happened to them. Okay, all right. So towards the end of Rasputin's life, he believed that he was in grave danger of being killed and wrote a letter to Tsar Nicholas II while Nicholas was on the battlefield headquarters just behind the enemy lines, and he left him anonymous an anonymous message. Now, this message told the Tsar that he thought that he would be dead before January the 1st of that year, which was in 1916. And he knew that if the nobility were the ones who killed him, the Tsar, the Tsarina, and the royal family would come to die before two years had ended. Okay, so could he have said that simply hoping that he would give him extra protection? That is possible. It is kind of weird how it all ended. So he, the weird thing is, also in the letter, he mentions that if it's his brothers in the peasantry, like if it's if it's common folk who kill him, he thinks that Russia will win the war and everything will be fine. But he believed that if nobility killed him, then Russia would lose the war and go through 25 years of turmoil. Oh, damn. Okay. And basically that's... I mean, I'm sure you're going to talk about it. Yeah. So one of the things he mentions is uh, that the Tsar's children and the children of Russians will beg for death. See the Antichrist coming, plague, poverty, destroyed churches, and desecrated sanctuaries where everyone is dead. So basically he's predicting revelations right now. Yeah, pretty much. He's saying that if he's killed by the nobility, it will be the, the end times for Russia. Which, I mean, he predicted for 25 years, which is about how long it was from the end of his life to when the Germans turned on the Russians in the Second World War, Operation Barbarossa, when Hitler invaded Russia. Hmm, okay, so maybe he was a mystical force wizard. Yeah, I mean, it is possible he was just talking shit. And just worried about being killed. But there are people who do believe Rasputin actually did have prophetic visions. 
that his powers did extend to prophecy. If if we break it down, in my mind, what I'm seeing right now is he can tell there's maybe a lot of, how would you say the word, decisiveness or whatever, division within the royal royalty of uh, Russia at that point. So maybe he knew that a lot of people supported him and a lot of people didn't support him. So if he died, maybe he knew that would be enough to cause uh, enough turmoil that would then cause what happened. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. Um, There was a lot of division in the country. Uh, The war was going terribly for the Russians. Uh, If you've ever listened to Dan Carlin's hardcore history about World War I, how many people were dying on the battlefield, Russia had lost 1.7 million people on the battlefield. I think total in – those were just the soldiers. Um, They were losing militarily. There were famines. Uh, The people didn't have food. There was talk of uprising. Communism was really starting to catch some traction in that country. Also, the military were starting to side against the royal family. So there was uprisings in St. Petersburg. This pretty much led to the downfall of the Tsar and Tsarina. There were uprisings in St. Petersburg. And when the garrisons full of soldiers who were supposed to quell the uprisings were sent out, they actually turned their guns on their officers and joined the revolution. Yeah, so maybe he just, uh, he knew this was coming. It could have been. He may have just seen it coming. That's yeah, true. Yeah, so, or, you know, sometimes people get lucky too, or maybe he's Russian Nostradamus, I guess. I don't know. He might have, I keep thinking he might have been like a Nostradamus. Kind of, some of the other things you read about, there are, throughout history, there have been fucking charlatans who are really good at, you make your prediction vague enough, and it can, like, mean anything. So, basically, when I said it was 25 years until Russia kind of started turning the tide against Germany, you know what I mean? Like, I just pulled that out of the hat. Yeah. Like, I just made that work. Well, so, as long as, like, you get a good prophecy, you can make it work for yourself, you know? Well, how about this, too? What if he at first took his religious and monk studies or whatever really serious, so he learned a lot about history, I'd assume, and he could see a pattern coming that has happened throughout history and just assumed that, you know, like, connected the dots. That is possible. So... Rasputin, one of the things about his childhood, they don't really think he had any formal education until he started making his pilgrimages. During his pilgrimages is when he was actually educated. So that is actually a really good point. I mean, it kind of makes sense to me. He probably knew things that not a lot of people knew. And I mean, as much as we don't want to admit it, history does somewhat repeat itself. Uh, So you can follow patterns and see when things are brewing. Yeah, well, that's just like our episode, what, seven months now, where we said 2020 would be like the peak of the turmoil. The We were talking about that two weeks ago. <laughs> well, you should have just claimed you are a prophet and that 2021 is going to be popping. 2021. Hopefully it's better. I think it's going to be worse, but. <laughs> hey, let's let's remain, remain optimistic here. We have to. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully this. <laughs> Hopefully the vaccine comes out and uh, we're all forced to take it and 
everyone will be just fine. Yeah, we all get imprinted with the mark of the beast and yada yada, whatever. If you it, believe that, it'll come with a free chip that come that gets inserted in the back of our skull. That's <laughs> that'll be fun. So, getting off of that, Rasputin was killed at the home of Felix Yusupov on 30 December 1916. And remember, he said that he wouldn't make it to January 1st of that of the next year. Right. Led Legend has it that he was shot multiple times in the head and torso, beaten, thrown in an icy cold river, and eventually drowned. Now, after his autopsy, after his death, his autopsy would reveal that he had lived long enough to die of drowning underneath the ice of the icy river. This tough son of a bitch. Oh, yeah, definitely. So the story goes that Prince Felix Yusupov and several co-conspirators actually had Rasputin come to a party at Felix's house, and they fed him poison cakes and wine. Uh, obviously, the poison, to their astonishment, did not work. At that time, uh, Felix actually shot Rasputin in the back, and he had thought that he had killed him until Rasputin jumped up and had this crazy look on his face. He then ran out of the room. Yusev or asked one of his men for a pistol and chased after Rasputin. One of his men shot Rasputin after that three times. Uh, they continued to beat Rasputin after they shot him. After beating him, they thought that he was dead, but it turned out he was still breathing. When that happened, they continued beating him and rolled him up in what I guess was a, like a carpet or some drapes, some fabric, they rolled him up and threw him into the icy river, and they thought that he was dead after that. The problem is, when they found the body the next day, they had done the autopsy, and it looked like after he had been thrown into the river, he had been trying to get out of the fabric that he was wrapped in, and he had died actually by drowning because of all the water in his lungs. Okay, Jesus. So the re uh, basically, with the prophecy that he had foretold to the Tsar, he was obviously killed by the nobility because he was killed by one of the Tsar's nephew's husbands and his nobility co-conspirators. The revolutionaries took over Russia and arrested the royal family just a few months later, killing them during a gruesome civil war that followed the end of the Great War for the Russians. It was feared that the enemy would recapture the royal family and use their position to claim power in Russia. Because of this, all of the members of the royal family were executed in the basement of where they were being held. Just as the royal, just as Rasputin predicted, they didn't live two years after his death, and they were executed on 17 July 1918. So he basically, his prediction was right. Yeah, he did predict that the royal family would be killed. But they, well, he did predict that the royal family wouldn't survive two years after his death. Okay, all right. Pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that kind of goes along with what happened. So that kind of goes along with, like, Rasputin's prophecy. And, of course, what we know about early Soviet history and everything that happened. They did really go through hell up until, like, the end of the World War II era. I mean, it's not like it was that great in Russia afterwards, <laughs> but they did go through a shitload of turmoil Yeah, uh, after, after the revolution. Yeah, so um, 
I don't know. What do you think? You think he's a prophet? Um, Jesus. No, I just, I mean, there are weird things about him. Everyone kind of said that he was a Jesus like figure. It was a lot of it was his eyes. So people claimed that he had these like weird, like steely eyes that would just cut right through someone. There was like rumors or a myth basically that he could control like the dilation of his pupils with his own brain. He didn't like it was it wasn't like an automatic thing for him. It was like a manual thing that he could control the dilation of his pupils. There was also said to be like kind of this weird little light that would come from behind his eyes. Almost like he had kind of like how a dog's eyes, you can see light coming out of the back of it. That's what people claim that his eyes had. There's even pictures taken where you can kind of see like a little bit of light coming out of his eyes. Of course, those might be doctored. Yeah, they could be. I mean, maybe he's a reptilian. That is true. He could have been a reptilian sent to fucking change the course of history. Or it also could be Barisatiro. We don't know. Well, I mean, his eyes sound like uh, Jason Momoa's fucking eyes. Oh, those uh, like the glossy eyes. Yeah, we need. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> like they, if Rasputin was ripped and bathed, uh, maybe he would look like Jason Momoa. So maybe we need to really keep an eye on Jason Momoa. You know, that is true. I didn't even think about that. I should have totally added that into the conspiracy. <laughs> Watch out for Jason Momoa. Well, uh, Phil, we've, uh, we've, this will be a, a beefy episode here. Um, now, if anybody wants to tell us where, no, let me say that again. If anybody wants to give us their opinions on Rasputin, where can they do that, Phil? They can hit us up on our email, subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. They can also get a hold of us through our Instagram account. We're on Subliminal Deception Podcast on IG. Uh, Cody and I also have a few of our own accounts. Mine is SDPodPhil on Instagram. I'm actually checking it a lot more and starting to add people on there, posting pictures. Cody, what's yours? Uh, yeah, you can add my personal one at Cody's Above. I'm uh, always posting things about crazy people in the conspiracy world. Uh, yeah, add me, check them out. Uh, the last thing we need you to do is to log on to iTunes Leave the show five-star view. Uh, write something nice about us. Give us a little little pep in our step with a nice comment. Or if you're a Spotify user, just uh, hit that follow button, and you'll always be informed when we drop the newest episode. Well, Phil, uh, thank you very much for that journey, Rasputin. Weird motherfucker. That's all we can say, and maybe we'll never learn the truth about him unless we develop a time-traveling machine, or if Barry Satira lets us use his time-traveling machine, which I doubt. Otherwise, That'd be nice. <laughs> Somebody needs to get a hold of him. Otherwise, guys, we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.